Are you looking for a short, educational, and entertaining podcast your kids can listen to while you cook dinner, fold laundry, or just need a few minutes to yourself? Then check out Mysteries About True Histories by Starglow Media. It's so, so cute. I listened to a few episodes, and when it was over, I was like, dang, that was really fun. It's made by the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and the Netflix show, Brainchild. So these people know what they're doing. As a little background info, every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning really cool. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. So it's perfect for kids ages six and up. There's a new episode every Thursday, each filled with so much laughter that your kids won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So why in this one moment of a massive argument do I think that everything he's done in the whole 19 years has negated that? So I just remind myself, okay, he loves me. So it brings my emotions down so I can think clearly about what we're actually arguing about instead of taking it so personally against me. Even though I now have all this money, it, it has affected how I feel about myself exactly zero. But what I had to do to change myself in order to become capable of generating the wealth, that made me feel good about myself. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Couple Things. With Sean and Andrew. A podcast all about couples and the things they go through. Today, we are interviewing Tom and Lisa Bilyeu, one of our favorite couples. I am in love with the wife. Andrew's in love with the husband. I mean, we're in love with them as a, literally as a couple. If you guys are dating, single, looking for a significant other, if you're married, newlywed, engaged, or married 74 years, and truly looking for a mentor, these are your people. Tom and Lisa are impressive and admirable on so many different accounts uh, in their career. They've been amazingly successful, but also in their marriage. And so Tom and Lisa actually are co-founders of Quest Nutrition, which you can find on shelves pretty much at any store you go to. <laughs> Sold for over a billion dollars. Yes. yes. Uh, but through the whole process of getting to the point of selling their company, they've been through so much. And they actually started as film students um, and they talk about the career changes they've been through technology companies. Lisa actually spent eight years being a traditional housewife, just supporting Tom and his career, realized that she hated it. And so she <laughs> talks about what it was like to move away from that role. And Transitioning to become almost a CEO. Yes. I mean, they are both incredibly successful, have gone through almost everything you could imagine within a relationship, have great perspective, have fought their way through all of the crap and come out on top they're awesome if you guys want to find out more about tom and lisa we'll include their information in the show notes down below but also check them out on pretty much any platform at impact theory and women of impact they put out some awesome content yes. it's really encouraging and really well thought out what i love about tom and lisa is they speak from experience um, and they give some fantastic advice because they've really been through it all and have some fantastic not only stories to, to share but also advice that they've learned through all that i will say i feel like we covered every single topic from singles to dating to trying to court your significant other to overcoming obstacles and arguments, literally everything. So it's a great episode. Yes. So before we jump into it, if you haven't subscribed or rated the show, please do so on whatever platform you're listening to. Let's go ahead and jump into this one with Tom and Lisa. Hey, I kind of want to just jump into it because I feel like we could talk for hours. Yes. But I was looking at some of the lessons you've learned over 17 years of marriage. And the first thing on the list was have sex often. <laughs> Can we talk about why that made number one? Yeah, I'm going to start, if you don't yeah, mind, but the one thing that went on our very, very first date, you know, um, my history was, you know, guys are always trying to posture, say the things that you want to hear, be very sweet and romantic and not say really much truth. And when I first met him, because we both thought it was going to be a fling, he was so honest. <laughs> and on that first date, he's just like, yeah, I don't understand people that are in sexless marriages. That's never going to be me. I refuse to ever have that. Sex is always going to be discussed. We're always going to... And this was our first date. And so <laughs> it was kind of... He absolutely set the ground rules. Um, 
And then at least just me, I had friends whose parents were living in different rooms, you know, bed death in relationships is real. So we had just always discussed like, that's not going to be us, um, which means that you have to talk about it a lot, right? Because each couple, there might be someone that, I mean, he wants more sex than I do. So we have to talk about that. Um, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sean and I have been open about our journey with marriage counseling, and it's been really helpful for us. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small, and it's important to sort those out so they don't affect your relationships. I agree. And therapy is such a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. We've been meeting with a therapist individually and as a couple, and it's been a great way to sort through any stressors in the week and have better communication about how we're feeling, which is hard to do when you're busy with kids. BetterHelp is an incredible option if you're thinking of giving therapy a try. It's all online, so it's convenient and flexible with your schedule. It's also nice that you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, so you make sure it's a good fit for you. We would highly recommend trying it out. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EastFam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EastFam. And I'll say, not just talk about it, you actually have to do it. Right. <laughs> <What? So, laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, my perspective, the reason that I think it is important is just the what I call the physics of the human animal. So we have a certain neurochemical state that's brought about through um, physically connecting on a sexual level. And, and that's part of how you maintain the level of bond that you do is by not to make this all scientific, but by modulating that neurochemistry. So um, oxytocin is like the bonding hormone, but it also has to do with trust. So when you're intimate in that way and you feel connected and the level of trust increases, <clears throat> excuse me, you can see how that would be really powerful for the relationship as I choke to death over here. Um, <laughs> so that, that is really, um, managing your neurochemistry is something that I'm always trying to get people to focus on more. Uh, it, it, is really critical. And I don't think enough people take the time to figure out what the brain is actually doing. Um, I don't think that love will just magically take care of a relationship. So I think people have to be super conscious about making choices that benefit the long-term pair bonding. Okay. I feel like we <laughs> cover so many topics because you guys are just so wise when it comes to relationships. Um, okay. I want to go back to Lisa. First date. You talk about people posturing. I remember talking to Andrew on after our first date, I wrote him off as like, this could never work because I was so used to being and going on dates where people did posture so much and he didn't that I was like, there's, there's no way, like, who is this guy? What is this about? I've never seen this angle. I don't know how to even read this situation. How, like, what advice would you give people going on first dates? What's important? What's not important? What to look for? I mean, what's funny is I think you just, like, in your experience as well, it's like you go into a relationship or you go into a date thinking something's important. And I think actually it was the fact that everything I thought that was important, he was the opposite, made me realize those things weren't important in the first place. So um, I was so used to guys posturing. I was used to guys being from England and just the community I was brought up in. Um, having a nice car meant something. Um, mm -hmm. Having a sound system in your car meant something. <laughs> and wearing nice. designer clothes meant something. And so I was used to dating those types of guys. And so here I was. I thought he was like that because he had like this nice watch on and he had like these funky pants on. And so I thought, oh, he's my type of guy. Um, and that first day where he picks me up and he walks me to his car and he had this really old beat beaten up Buick and it was like those massive old men's cars <laughs> and I was like what and it totally threw me off and then his back seat had piles of just junk in there and I'm a neat freak so going into it what would I have said was important someone that's neat someone that you know cares for their car uh -huh. And he was the complete opposite. But as we walk into the car, he opened the door for me. And I was like, I've never, never dated anyone who's ever held the door open for me. My culture being Greek, my dad doesn't hold the door open for me. They walk in in front. My brother never <laughs> held the door. So I was like, he's opened the door for me? 
which I would never have thought meant anything to me. And then he, you know, get out of the car and he opens the, the door to the restaurant. And I'm like, wow, this is something that it made me uncomfortable because I was like, I don't, I'm an independent woman, but I kind of <laughs> like it. So, but so that's I, kind of one way of saying all the things that I thought were freaking important weren't. And now in hindsight, what was the most important thing is that I saw the truth. Now, of course, he was still showing, you know, doing nice things specifically because it was our first day, but he never lied. We had very open conversations, um, conversations that normally make people uncomfortable. He was just very open and free to talk about. And that was so refreshing to me. So, um, yeah, I, would, I actually had thrown out all the things I thought were important. Tom, it's my understanding that you had, I think, gotten advice from maybe a mentor or friend who said, in order to win a girl over, just don't be an a-hole. Can you talk about that? It, it was the exact opposite. So uh, <laughs> I, it, it was like the classic advice. So I did not have game. I was very bad with women basically my entire life. And I was finally getting to the point where I was really frustrated by that reality, but I was willing to accept that it was something I was doing wrong. So I worked with this guy who was just getting laid left, right, and center. And so I said like, dude, other than he, he was an attractive dude, but I was like, what's the trick? And he said, oh, man, you have to be an asshole. <laughs> and I was like, that, that can't really be the advice. Like you hear that so often, it's such a freakish cliche. And I was like, I refuse to believe that. But I was like, there is a reason, much like wives tales stick around for a reason. There is a reason that people tell you that. And so I tried to sort of back into what was it about this guy that I could see that even I thought was interesting? And it was, he was so confident. And so I was like, okay, how do I begin to display that kind of confidence in my own life with women, even if I don't necessarily have it? And I'll stop shy of saying that it's fake until you make it. But beginning to realize, and, and this is true of everything in life, there are ways to embody something. So enthusiasm is the one that I come to the most often, trying to get people to understand how you develop a passion. You don't find a passion, you develop it. And part of that is actually embodying whatever excitement you want to feel. And as your brain has a mechanism where however you respond, your brain goes, whoa, it must have been worth that response. So if you respond huge, your brain goes, this must really be a big deal. If you respond small, your brain goes, well, I guess this isn't that problematic. So I wanted to find a way to actually start to embody that, to show the confidence. And it didn't hurt that I met her doing the thing at the time that I was probably most confident in, which was teaching. So I was in my element. I was getting to display my verbal ability, which has always been the thing that I've got disproportionate rewards from. So that finally realizing I needed to at least test the this confidence thing, and I'm not joking, within 30 days of stepping into that and saying, I'm going to embody confidence, I started to get laid. So I was like, whoa, it actually worked. <laughs> I was like, this is real. And the truth is that was exactly what I was drawn to. He was so confident, but he wasn't rude. He wasn't cocky. He wasn't an arsehole, but he was just confident. And so it definitely worked on me. I was his second try. So wow, I was going to say, Tom, so you walk into this date trying to just, you know, make some moves and then you no, stumble really into a marriage. That. So what I want <laughs> people to understand is I didn't like flip over and I've always been far more interested in getting to know somebody. I need to connect with somebody if the sex is going to be enjoyable. Um, so coming into it, I was just like, look, she's legally obligated to leave the country. This is perfect. I want to really connect with her. I want to have a good time, but I, I don't want to be in a relationship. So it's not like I had no experience when I met her. I just wasn't consistently good at sort of connecting with people and, and taking it to that next level. I was very prone to getting put into the friend zone. So now with this, I thought, okay, well, this is perfect. I want to get to know her, but I know she's going to leave. I have zero interest in pretending to be somebody that I'm not. So I want to really talk to her like on a real level. And so when she talks about me like, oh, you know, I was just throwing all this stuff out there and talking in a way that other people don't talk. I was just trying to have a conversation that I actually cared about. So there, it, like the not posturing was just like, hey, this is interesting to me. I don't care if you agree or not. I'm trying to filter. And I know that if I try to tell you what I think you want to hear, which I have tried with women in the past, it actually doesn't work. So now just owning what I actually think 
saying what I actually think and knowing that that will turn off a certain number of people, but it will attract the right kind of person because now I'm not going to have to pretend later down the road. So it was like, it, it was strategic, but it's the, the smartest lifelong strategy you can play, which is I don't have to remember which lie I told or who I was pretending to be with this person. Like, yep, I get it. Some of who I am is actually really going to be a turnoff to some people, but it's really going to be a turn on to the right person. So I feel like this answer could be different in regards to dating, engagement, and marriage. So it might like have different answers for every category and phase, but talking about posturing, talking about trying to like fake it till you make it to gain confidence and impress a potential spouse or anyone. What, I don't even know how to phrase this. What is like a, the biggest mistake people make when they're trying to find a significant other or trying to go on dates or trying to impress someone and how can you cut through all of the BS immediately, but still make that first impression? Does that make sense? Because yeah. you're, you're trying to impress people. You're trying to posture to some extent. You're trying to be someone else because you feel like that person wants to see someone. How can you create something impressive for someone and not change who you are later on down the road? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Um, I think it's um, looking at yourself. So first of all, I'm not going to conform to the person that I'm about to go on a date with, right? Because you find yourself, like if someone likes something, it's like, oh, I don't really like it, but yeah, sure, that's great. It's like, I'm telling yourself, I'm not going to conform to that person. I'm going to show up and be who I really am, but show up and be the best of who you really are, right? So it's, you know, I'm not going to show him all my bad moods on the first date. That's just a bad strategy. I'm not going to show him if I'm, you know, irritable. It's just a bad strategy. Now, down the line, obviously, I'm human. So he knows eventually, you know, most people have bad moods and have irritability. But I don't necessarily need to show that on the first date. So what I would do is show up as my best self, but not as a false self, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. That would be at least on my first date. And then down the line with me and him on engagement and marriage we really did sit down and discuss what type of wife do you want me to be and what type of wife do i want to be that was way late i'm gonna be honest that was not like in the that first couple weeks the, yeah that was not no so that was that was when we got engaged and when we got married and that changed over time i mean i was a stay-at-home wife for eight years before you know we became business partners so things are always going to change i think if you're trying to grow and but it's always about communicating and understanding and thinking about what you want as well as what I want. I'll take a slightly different, a different approach. Answer. Um, so the way that I think about it is you, if you really want to get somewhere in a relationship, if you want to be both who you really are and be attractive to somebody, then you've got to be a person worthy of attraction. And I, I feel like people try to play a game or they try to optimize or posture when in reality, try to, and now I'm speaking to the 50% of your audience is male, try to be a badass, like actually do something worthy of somebody standing up and taking notice, but for your own sake, like you're doing it to solidify who you are, to strive to be better, to push yourself, not to impress somebody, but because like that's the human condition. Like you, if you want to feel good about yourself, this is what I tell everybody, the punchline of life, boys and girls is it isn't success, it isn't money, it isn't fame. I promise you it is exactly one thing, and that is how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? And if you're looking for external validation, if you're looking for the person in your life to echo back something that makes you feel good about yourself, you will forever be in a fragile situation because the second that they stop giving you that, like you are now moreless, like you're just, you're adrift. And my thing was, I met her in a period where I realized I'm doing something wrong if I'm not getting the result that I want in life. And it happened to coincide with me beginning to read about the brain and understanding this virtual reality that I was living through this spongy tissue between my ears. And so I was just like, I want to get better, man. I feel so trapped. I feel frustrated. I feel lost. I feel hopeless. This was a, a pretty dark period in my life. And clawing my way out of that was, a, was about self-improvement. So unlike somebody who grows up a gymnast, nobody told me to toughen up. Nobody told me that if you worked hard, you could get what you wanted. And so my life up until that point had been to try to 
Like I thought I was born with a certain set of skills. I didn't realize that I could improve them until I started reading about the brain. And so I was just trying to put myself in this little situation where it was like, these are the skills I have. Let me try to like make the most of them. When I flipped the switch and was like, yo, I can improve. I can get better. I'm going to work my ass off. Then it was like, I started to become attractive because I didn't need validation. I wasn't seeking it anymore. I knew who I wanted to be, even if I was still a little unsure who I was. And then that put me on a process to be interesting to someone like this. Tom, do you limit that message to just, to just males? Cause you're married to, you're married to a badass. It seems. It, it is purely the language. <laughs> so the way that I speak as as evidenced by the audience that I have built skews a little more masculine. Um, but no, the message I think ultimately is the same, but I really do believe that there are inherent differences in the female brain and the male brain. So I think it's inevitable that we express ourselves differently, which I love. So you think about what makes a rainforest so resilient, it's the variety, right? So I wouldn't want men and women to be exactly the same, especially not in a business context. I heard a really rad quote one time, which is, if you have a business partner and you both think alike, one of you is unnecessary. And I was like, whoa, like you actually want diversity of viewpoint, you want diversity of opinion, um, and then you want those to come together and sort of battle it out for what's actually most effective to move forward. But the core of what you said though is absolutely true for women as well. Like I have absolutely had to learn and work in my own work on my own confidence, my own self-esteem and not seek it in him because the second you're looking for it in your partner, while it feels good in that moment, um, I think it, it becomes fragile, right? Because if he's in a bad mood or if he's distracted or something's going on with him and I'm feeling insecure and I'm looking to him to bring the security to me and he's not, then that leaves me in a very fragile position. So, um, yeah, I agree. It's absolutely both sexes as well. Um, speaking about how you express yourselves, um, you guys talk a, a lot about defining terms. And Sean and I have been having this discussion actually a lot the past mm -hmm. two weeks because she says, hey, Andrew, you never say you're sorry. In my mind, I say I'm sorry every other sentence, but it's not it's not how she defines it. Can you can you talk about how you guys have gone about that? It's so funny because we literally this week or next week, we've got a post that we're putting out on what uh, terms we're defining. And it really... <laughs> are you guys okay? What are you, what are you drinking over there? <laughs> I don't have COVID. So really it, it is like you've been brought up in one way and one word means something to you. <clears throat> you've been brought up in a different way and <laughs> I'll pick up. So, yeah, basically, we learned early on that um, if you think you're saying the same thing but you're not, then you're you're going to have a total communication breakdown. And so, taking the time to actually say, "Hey, you're using the word important. I'm using the word important," but there's a huge gap between what that means. So, important is one of the earliest words that we define. And for us, what we circled around and came to was that the word important means, yo, whatever you are doing, stop immediately, listen to what I'm saying. I will never abuse this word. I won't use it very often. But if I say this is important to me, I mean, I'm talking like highest value, like all attention on this thing. And so that became really clarifying. But we defined even more about like, if I said important, he's in a meeting with the president. It means he has to leave. Like that's how hard, and we've actually said that he's like, yeah, if, if my wife says that it's important and I'm with whoever. Drop and it. literally in our marriage, only once have we both said, this is important to me in this direction. And she said, this is important to me in that direction. We were like, whoa, like now what? <laughs> that, that's actually a really interesting moment, but it's a, it's an edge case. So I'll, I'll stay to the core thing. Just knowing what it means to the other person that it immediately elevates, you know, this, um, thing to like all hands pay attention has been really really helpful um, and then so we have a step below that which is meaningful so if I say this is important yo unless you have an equally important reason why we wouldn't we are doing this thing but if I say it's meaningful it's like maybe you don't feel the same I want you to know that it's of elevated um, significance but I completely understand if you're going to refuse to do this or you don't see the same or whatever um, and then there's a handful of other words. Yeah. But going back to like what you were saying, Sean, is like with the word sorry, right? Because you feel like you say, well, okay, what are the words, what, how are you actually feeling that? 
Are you saying it because you are like, do you actually say the word sorry, but do you say, oh my God, yes, I'm sorry, but, right? I don't know. But like, what is the things that makes you feel like you're saying sorry, but makes you feel like you're not hearing sorry? Mm -hmm. And then defining that. And so what we do is I say, okay, these are the words you said, and this was my interpretation of that. And then he could go, oh my God, no, that wasn't what I wanted you to interpret. This is the words that I said, and this is what I was meaning behind it. So kind of really breaking those down layers and go, okay, now that you've assessed all of that, how do we move forward? Mm. Okay, if you want me to actually hear you say sorry, I need you to say X, Y, and Z. Whether you agree with it or not, this is how I interpret it. So, and perhaps do X, Y, and Z, because there might be a do component of this, which may be where you guys are disconnecting. Um, I could certainly see that with that particular word, I could see that one going beyond sort of the lexicon definition and into the, like the actions that follow. Um, and that'll be part of the discussion. Because I will say to him, I need physical contact. Like if you're across the room and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, and you walk off, that's not the same to me as if you come to me and go, baby, I'm so sorry, and give me a hug, right? And so for him, who doesn't necessarily need the hug or doesn't need to necessarily say the word baby, he's like, but I've done what you want. Like I've said sorry, but I haven't felt it. So really going over, this is actually what I need to hear what you, you're trying to say, and then acting in accordance and reminding yourself in that moment. It's amazing how much self-discipline it takes to actually <laughs> enact that, to only say, hey, this is important to me when it's the leave the president type of situation. Um, and I'm sitting over here listening to you, Lisa, and, and, and understanding that, oh my gosh, I need to do these things to make sure that Sean feels that I'm sorry. By the way, this hit therapy mode real quick. <laughs> But, um, but um, people say that marriage is a lot of hard work and it's, it's like, really it is, but it's a lot of small hard work things. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, I only, I can only say important if it's this situation or for me to have Sean understand that I'm sorry, I need to go across the room and give her a hug. It's like, it, it's hard work in the sense that that's humbling and there's a lot of pride that has to get pushed to the side there. Um, but those are really wise words. Okay. I have two, two topics I want to talk about. This is kind of a trend we've been seeing in a lot of like the couple conversations and interviews that we've done. And I feel like everybody seems to be really split 50, 50 on their opinions. So one is baggage. We have friends who have very um, passionate views on baggage. And I define baggage as we have, we've seen people who go into relationships and they're like, whatever you've done in the past, whoever you've been with, whatever, like whoever you were is not who you are now. So I don't need to know. And let's just start here and move forward. Whereas I feel like the other half is like, let's talk about it. How are you brought up? How did you deal with these situations? Because however you dealt with them then is how it's going to affect us now. I'm curious your guys' stance on that and kind of where you lie with it, I guess. Everyone knows that finding the perfect t-shirt with like the quality and the fit is near impossible. I told you guys that I found skims while I was pregnant and now postpartum, I found the best nursing bra known to mankind from skims. Well, they've outdone themselves again because they now have the perfect t-shirt, especially postpartum with a changing body. I can guarantee you, you won't find a t-shirt like it. I love also that Skims has a fit for everyone from the long t-shirts to the cropped. They truly have like sizes and qualities and styles for every single thing you could want. So the cotton jersey t-shirt is the one that I'm talking about. It is an absolute staple. I feel like I'm reaching for it literally every day, especially nursing with bear. It's breathable and soft and it somehow gets even softer and still holds its shape after every wash. If I could only recommend two of the Skims t-shirts, I would say the cotton jersey t-shirt, which I have in mineral, or the boyfriend t-shirt, literally in any color, are probably my two favorite t-shirts that they make. Shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small to 4X. After you place your order, select podcast in the drop down menu, select couple things to let them know we sent you. Have a good one. I feel like you got a very strong, <laughs> strong opinion of you. So again, and just the physics of being human, right? So if you want to have a meaningful relationship with somebody, you want to open up and explore. But going back to what you were saying a minute ago, it's 
the real work with saying something is important is not abusing the work, right? So it's so tempting to know I can get what I want by saying this is important and resisting that urge is critical. So if you guys are going to have a relationship where you're completely opening up to each other and you ever um, are doing that to like dig into somebody, to get to something, to shame them, to make them feel bad, it's like that person will shut down and learn instantly, oh, I can't be honest with this person because I know where it's going. And I will say in the beginning of our relationship, there was so much insecurity and realizing that insecurity is like, if you have a strong emotional reaction to something, I can pretty much guarantee somebody has put a finger on something that you're insecure about. And mm -hmm. things that she would tell me in the beginning of our relationship, I can't recapture why that would have ever bothered me, but it did when we first got together. And so things now that just seem utterly stupid, um, that I would never have even a moment sort of hiccup over back then were really problematic and we really had to talk and process through. Now I'm glad that we did it and we had that value system, which we didn't have the exact words for back then, but I can give people the words for now. Don't ever weaponize something against your partner. Don't weaponize their past. Don't weaponize their failures. And really, really, really don't weaponize their insecurities. Like when you're in a relationship and you fucking open yourself up and you tell something that you've never told anybody and you don't know how they're gonna react. It's like, there will come a point in the future, I promise you, where that deep insecurity that they gave you you're in an argument and you think they're wrong and you could shut them down. You have that thing. They gave you that weapon that you could literally make them stop talking right in that moment. You could make them weep and apologize to you and you could win. And in that moment, if you do it, you will break the trust forever and you will never be able to recover because they will know if I give them this thing, which I need to give them to feel like me and to relax and to have that the cathartic moment of telling somebody something that you think you'll be rejected for and being supported in that moment for the reasons you said, which is that's who you were. It's not who you are. But man, there's something cathartic about being a human where if you can express that to that person and tell them, suddenly it loses its power because you don't have to hide it. That's so beautiful. Like relationships are compromised, but they, they are worth the compromise when you're able to really let go of all that stuff and be supported. It doesn't mean that they're going to think everything you've ever done is brilliant. It just means that they recognize that who you were then does not have to define who you are today. And they'll also understand why you may react to something. Because let's say I'm super sensitive about something, but he has no clue. And it comes from a part, in fact, um, my ex-boyfriend wasn't very nice to me. And he was emotionally abusive and would say, no one's ever going to love you like I love you, but made me feel like crap. Um, and so there were certain things that he would do that I needed to tell him so that he understands because if he didn't know where my scars were and he starts pressing on them and all of a sudden I'm like upset, annoyed, irritable, he's like, what the hell's wrong with her? But if I can communicate, hey, this is what happened in the past, I'm still sensitive about it. It doesn't mean that that's who I am, but these still, I'm still sensitive about X, Y, and Z. He can now be show um, grace to me when something happens. He's like, okay, I know she's sensitive about that, so I'm not gonna touch on that. So I think in, in sharing, it, it is enabling you to come together stronger and understand each other instead of judging each other. It's so powerful. On the, on the one hand, how sharing that baggage can be the most healing thing that you do, but on the other, it's, it's now open to be weaponized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> DU slash couple things. Side note, not all programs are available in all the states. But if you go online, you can see which programs are available for you. That's right. Also check the link in the description down below. Let's get back to it. How have you guys prevented, when you're in those heated moments, which I'm sure being business partners, being married for 17 years, <laughs> there's plenty of moments like that. Is there something that keeps you in check when when you're feeling those emotions rise that prevents you from weaponizing those insecurities? Ooh, for me, it's more just internal dialogue. So I tell myself, you can never take this back. Like mm. I just repeat that to myself. So, so if I even feel the inkling, it's like, you can never take this back. You can say, sorry, but you can never take back something that you've seen your partner suffer with. And if you've used it to weaponize, you just can't take that back. And so for me, I just remind myself, I'm in this for the long game, like till the day I die. And so in order for us to succeed, I have to remind myself in those moments um, 
So that's one thing that I personally do in my own head. And then the thing is, I just always say like, I just want him to win, right? As a human being, I want him to win. Not in the argument. I of course want to win in the argument, but removing yourself from that, like as a human, I just want him to win. And so for me right now to, to say something that's going to not allow him to win doesn't, doesn't feel right of who I am as a human. You may have a better strategy. Well, I'll say yes and. So on top of that, I'll say that people need to understand why they're in a relationship, what they get from that relationship, what is worth the sacrifices and compromises that are required to be in that relationship. And once you know that, then it's like, okay, well, if that's the reason I'm doing this and I reap tremendous rewards from that, then I'm going to do whatever I need to do to protect that. Um, and for me, that sense of being lifted up by somebody who knows who you are and they're not with you because they don't understand who you are, they're, they know fully who you are and they're still with you and there's so much comfort and value in that. And the bond that humans seek emotionally is so powerful and you get such a neurochemical reward from that. So I'm like, well, I know what breaks that thing down, which is if you lose trust, you lose everything. And knowing that if I do that even one time, it has this um, a break effect that can never fully be recovered from. So it just like the, the logic of what do I want to get? What would break that thing that I want to get? Oh, saying this, weaponizing this, then therefore it just makes sense. I can't do that or it wouldn't serve my own selfish desires. So if we've read this correctly, you guys have a magic question within your relationship that you ask during arguments or during kind of vulnerable times. And it's the, I think it's the, do, does he love me or do they love me? Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I, I am just very emotional in the sense of like, I would get frustrated or if we'd get into an argument, you know, you end up, I don't know about you, but like you take it personally. And so it's like, I can't believe he did that to me. Like, oh my God. And your emotions then I believe really do um, are like, they, they, they trick you. So I know, okay, mm -hmm. in those moments where I'm emotionally sober is what I call it. I look back and I'm like, man, like you absolutely let your emotions take you in a direction that you really know isn't true. But in that moment, it feels so vindicated because your emotions are telling you. So because I can't help in that moment, change my emotion like that. I just have a mantra that I repeat to myself to in essence, distract me from what my emotions are trying to trick me on. So I just say, does he love you? Like, it's so simple. Yes. I mean, you know, we've been together for 19 years. Every single day you do these little things like he makes me coffee or whatever. Like he shows me in every single way that he loves me. So why in this one moment of a massive argument, do I think that everything he's done in the whole 19 years, has negated that. So I just remind myself, okay, he loves me. So it brings my emotions down so I can think clearly about what we're actually arguing about instead of taking it so personally against me. So Tom, you've spoken a couple of times about the neuroscience uh, behind relationships and you guys are both really big on, on mindset. At least I think you said that, that Tom came up with that word uh, and you're, you're so thoughtful in that way. Some might, some might say that that kills the romance. The fact that you're so strategic <laughs> and aware of that, is that the case or no? Definitely not. I, I don't think <laughs> being blind to the mechanisms of anything is ever a good idea. So if you guys think about take art, for instance, the greatest artists of all time, take a Leonardo da Vinci, right? I don't think anybody argues that if he's not the greatest artist that ever lived, that he's certainly one of the greats. And what he would do was he would go out into nature and try to figure out the way that things work. So he was looking at the way that light reflected. He was looking at the way that things tend to get more blue with distance. He was getting cadavers and dissecting them so he could understand the musculature so that he knew just from a physics standpoint, how a muscle could move or bend so that he knew how to pose a body. And that kind of stuff made his art that much more powerful. And so if your art is living a good life, if your art is being connected with somebody and making love last over a lifetime, then understanding the way the brain works, because look, we all live life through the brain. And once you realize that the brain truly 
I don't think we live in uh, a simulation, but, but I think that the brain comes so close to being a simulation of what is real that you might as well think of yourself as living in a simulation. There's an area of the brain called the deep limbic system. Its job is not to tell you what's happening. Its job is to tell you how to feel about what's happening. Now, once you realize, whoa, 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 wait a second, it, it is not trying to give me objective reality. It's trying to tell me emotionally how I should interpret this reality. And then you realize that it can get inflamed. And when it's inflamed, it tends to perceive things negatively. So if you say to somebody, oh my God, you look so good today. And they get really pissed and really hurt. You're like, how is that bad? I don't understand what just happened. Because when the deep limbic system is inflamed, what they hear is, you didn't look good yesterday. And that is to, that's to understand the physics of being a human. And it's like, okay, cool. I get what's going on here. I can adjust my behavior. Like for me, understanding, oh, wow, like this is really upsetting me, whatever she's doing, to know that that means that she's triggered an insecurity allows me to then not get into this death spiral of what we call arguing about the tea, but you get into what's really going on so you can diffuse the situation so you can stay, you know, in this positive, optimistic, loving environment, which is, it's just a more fun place to be. And so without those mechanisms, which I understand how sterile and boring and lame that sounds, but it's like, you want to talk about something that, that changed my life. It was ceasing to be a slave to my emotions and finally understanding what triggers them and how most importantly to change them. And that, that has been massive in our life. Yeah. And then talking about opening what you each need is going to be so important because, you know, just seeing how couples, I just heard it too, you know, too much growing up where it's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, I blinked and now I don't know who he is. It's like, it's because you're not connecting. Okay, well, why aren't you connecting? You have to actually look at the realities of why you're not connecting. Is it because you're, you're on emotional different paths right now? Well, you have to discuss that. Otherwise, what's going to happen? In one, two, three years, you're going to wake up and be like, I have no connection with you. So it's so important that we go to what is our goal? To be together for the rest of our lives. Great, how do we get there? Now that doesn't mean that you have to suck up all of the emotion and connection that comes naturally, right? So it's like on date night, it's not like we're talking about logistics on the day about like the, the things that we're gonna talk about. You have to let that just take its you know course and be like, natural and organic but like you were saying the mechanisms behind what are the things that trap most couples or you know couples that end up not staying together and we really look at that because we don't want to get there so to ignore it i think is doing yourself as a couple a disservice and i'll, I'll add one thing to that i think words matter mm -hmm. um i don't have an interest in being together forever i have an interest in being together forever joyfully so if if it isn't fun, there's no way. I would not continue. So if something happened and we just could not reconcile and could not get back to a joyful place, I have literally, since the time I was 14, I had a recurring nightmare about being in a loveless marriage that did not stop until I met Lisa. So there was this, this I had witnessed so many people stay together for the sake of kids or whatever, that as a 14 year old, I was like in this weird loop of like what that would feel like. And I have literally zero interest, but I know that it won't happen by accident. And I know that it is avoidable if you have a real foundation. And so going back to what she said about does he or she love me, you keep coming back to that as your anchor. And it's like from there you can build. Um, once the answer to that question is no, you have other problems. I hope you guys have longer than an hour to talk. Yeah, but. <laughs> do you have the rest of the day? Um, okay, jumping topics again. Lisa, I think this is really important because one of my biggest pet peeves with relationships and just society is I feel like everybody tries to put relationships into a box. They say mm -hmm. you have to do this and that, and if you do it, you'll be happy and things are right. I read somewhere that you said the worst piece of advice you were ever given was that if you didn't have kids, you wouldn't be fulfilled within your relationship. I think this hits home with a lot of people. We have a lot of friends who are like, kids just aren't for us. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through your worst advice and how that resonated and then how you move past it? 
Yeah, um, growing up as Greek Orthodox, it was just assumed. Like no one asked me, no, I didn't even ask myself and that was the problem. I just grew up being told, you're gonna have kids, you're gonna get married. Um, when I went to study filmmaking, I was arguing with my dad because he didn't want me to study film. And then eventually he's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter in a way, you're gonna you know, get married and have kids. And he didn't mean it to be mean, it's just that's his perspective of the world. So growing up, I didn't question it. I meet him, I'm like, yeah, I want to get married, I want to have kids, um, this is like the life that I want. He was on board with having kids, but he was like, I want to go out and really explore. So to cut a long story short, he then went chasing money at the time because we thought money was going to make you happy, how wrong we were, but like, so he went out chasing money. So I was like, I'll stay home, I'll support you. Um, and I did that and I didn't expect to do it for eight years. We had a master plan, but that took longer than expected. Um, and so I realized for those eight years, I was alone a lot. And so being, I was like, I just want to have kids because I thought it was going to feel something in me that I wasn't feeling in that time. So I was just like, I want to have kids. When are we going to have kids? And he was just like, I just want to get to a point financially. I want to be able to support you. Um, and then we started Quest. And at the time he turned around to me and he was like, okay, if we start this company, we're gonna lose it and, and it doesn't succeed. We're gonna lose our house. And so he's like, do you mind just helping out a bit here and there, shipping some protein bars from our living room floor, like rolling pins and knives. And so I was like, of course, I had seen myself as a stay at home wife. Now what I didn't analyze was, was I happy? I would just got into that like, um, that loop of this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I didn't actually ask myself, am I satisfied? Am I fulfilled? Am I happy? So when he asked me, hey, do you mind just helping? I was like, of course, I'm a good wife. I want to support my husband and I don't want to lose my house. So I just went into it, um, shipping bars for my living room floor. Now, what we didn't expect was our company to grow at 57,000%. So when it became, hey, you're shipping a couple of bars a week, from your living room floor to now you're shipping $80 million of inventory and you need 10,000 square foot of just um, fulfillment space, not production space, fulfillment space. For me, I was like, just support your husband. Oh my God, don't lose your house. Now in that process, I realized I'm actually enjoying this. And that's when I started to go, what do I, what does Lisa want? And that was the first time I actually asked myself the question. And so I was asking myself the question, but you really love this. And as time went on, I mean, I had 40 employees. I'd never been a boss before. You know, I had my two dogs. And in two years, I went to, to you know, 40 employees and $80 million in inventory. And I was loving it. I was loving learning. I was loving messing up and figuring it out. And that's when I started to ask myself, what does my life look like? Like as a whole, not just thinking about, you know, you hear a lot of people saying like, oh, my deathbed, I want to make sure that I've got family around me and at Christmas time. I was like, I need to go, what does my Wednesday look like? <laughs> if we have children, right? And we, we sat down and we asked each other the question, like, don't think about me. Don't think about your wife. Babe, what do you want your average Wednesday to look like? And he was like, you fell in love with an ambitious man. So please don't ever ask me to now not be ambitious. And so I had to respect that, of course. So he's like, I'm not going to be coming home. I'm at six o'clock in the evening. Like, that's not who I'm going to be now. I want to be an amazing father. So on the weekend, I'll take them to soccer practice. And so then we're like, okay, if that's what our weeks look like, where do I fit in? And so we just had a very honest conversation of if he wants to be an amazing father and he's not mm. going to come home early. So, okay, when all week I'm going to be at home with the kids on the weekend, he's going to take the kids and want to spend time with them. Well, what about our relationship? And so we literally were just so honest. No, no guard up. Don't think about how I'm going to feel if you're like, yeah, I don't want kids. Like, don't worry about how I'm going to respond to it. You have to be honest. And in that same token, I then was honest with him. And I was like, look, I know you married a woman who said she wanted kids. I wanted four children. So I was like, I recognize you married someone that that's what you thought, but I'm changing. And so in me changing, I'm feeling so good about myself running this business and helping you build Quest. And his response was, look, I love the fact that you're putting my clothes out for me, that you're making me dinner every night, that, you know, you were basically there at my, you know, um, 
and call in essence of what he needs. And he's like, of course I love that. I'd be stupid to like, or I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't love that. But what I would love even more is to see you happy. So what kind of husband would I be to ask you to be someone that you're no longer? And so we, we broke that down and we said, okay, so how do we make this transition? Is it okay that I don't want children now? Like, am I going to be judged? And I was judged for it. And people called me selfish. And I just had to remove the emotion and go, okay, someone's calling you selfish now, right now. Why do you think that they're doing that? And then being true to myself as well. I was like, well, is that a good enough reason to have kids when you really you know, for somebody else. So we kind of break things down. Mm. I know that was a very long-winded answer, but that was really exactly how we processed it. And we came to the conclusion of, yeah, I like working in business. I don't want to give up my career. And he, you know, said the same and we put each other first. And so we just kind of broke things down to come to that conclusion. And then I had to be okay with the judgment that may come to it because I'm not going to live my life for somebody else. I was I was going to ask you Tom about your nightmare of a joyless love life because um, you mentioned if you were if you ever found yourself in that situation like you just couldn't bear it and I was gonna ask is there a certain time period of joylessness that you would put up with um, before like I don't think you were you weren't talking about being in a marriage and then being joyless and, and divorcing but it seems like you've prevented that by just it's it's not so much about falling into that situation as it is about living this life whose main principle is like honesty and and transparency and you've brought that into your marriage and i think that's fantastic um i come from more of a traditional background sounds like you do as as well lisa and the stereotypes of like oh this is what my marriage is going to look like um i I don't think we've put much thought into like <laughs> overcoming those as much as just like you two have done this, this partnership is about me making her happy, me helping her realize her dreams and vice versa. And so it's not like, Oh, well you need to do the laundry. Cause that's purely selfish on me. It's no, you're busy doing something else. So I can do the laundry. Well, I think like you were saying, I think a lot of people handcuff themselves in relationships and their relationships fall stagnant because they follow the guidelines of what they think they should do instead of doing what's best for their relationship. I know that we have a lot of friends who are like, oh, well, if we did this or we moved to this city or we didn't have children, my parents would never forgive us. Well, then you're living your parents' relationship and not your own. And I feel like no relationship can succeed if you aren't transparent and honest and live the life that you guys want and that you guys dream and not someone else's. So I, I think that's, you said it beautifully. I mean- we, we have a lot of those conversations just because our parents were raised so different. And we've even said, I almost feel like we would be doing them a disservice if we don't like evolve our relationship to become something different than theirs. Otherwise we're not growing and we're not becoming something new. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we get that a lot. And the parents, especially for me being Greek Orthodox, um, I had to keep telling my mom because she was just asking me every time I would call her. And then I was like, oh, when are you trying? When are you trying? And I started to realize it was actually making me not want to call her. And mm -hmm. so I had to be honest. I said, mom, I love you so much. And I understand that you're looking for me to feel something by having a child. But in the fact that you keep asking me, it's making me not want to call you. And that's going to be dangerous mm -hmm. because I can love you and you're my mom and so if you need to mourn and I actually said this to her if you need to mourn the idea that you're going to be a grandmother through me by all means let me know how I can support you through that process but at some point we need to get to the other side and you need to accept that this is the lifestyle we have chosen that is no reflection on how much I love you and how much I want you to be happy but I have to do what is right for me for my happiness in the long run and like kind of having those discussions and giving someone the space to to feel badly or feel sorry for themselves because they had an idea in their, ha their head about being the grandmother or, you know. And so it's like, look, I want to respect however you're going to perceive this. 
but we have to talk about it and get to the other end. Otherwise, it's going to be a freaking nightmare. And every for years and years and years, that's all she's going to keep saying. And I felt like I was breaking her heart every time I would say it. So she would say, oh, you guys try. And I was like, no, mom, we've decided to not have kids. Every time I would say it, it hurt me as well. So, um, yeah, I totally understand the judgment or the, the wanting to do things for other people. But I think that in the long run, it just becomes such a dangerous game. I don't. I literally <laughs> don't get it. The only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself, man. Can't live yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. that, that is one gift I will say that I cultivated that shit real. So, yeah. know what you want. I, I think a lot of people lack clarity on what they want for themselves, but mm. um, yeah. You went from a first date in a beat up Buick to however many years later, 20 or so, maybe just over uh, selling a billion dollar company together. How has money, how has material things changed your guys' relationship? You want to answer? Zero, Um, literally zero. So um, the cool thing is we did it together. I won't lie. That's been absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see how many people in your audience I can really piss off right now. Um, But here's something I find absolutely fascinating. Women are very good at working through other people. So when I think about who I would be without my wife, I I am not, I have the chills right now. I would not be the person I am. When we got together, one of the first things I said to her, which she mentioned earlier was, "You, you can ask anything of me, literally. Let me know, how can I make you happy? Don't ever ask me to not be ambitious. It is the one thing that is at the core of who I am and my pursuit of greatness and getting better and all of that. So, but in that, like this woman pushed me to be great in moments of weakness. She would big me up. She would make me feel better. She would lift me up and encourage me to like, go back out. Like, come on, you can do it. In moments of some of the hardest negotiations in my life, this woman was in my ear like, yo, let me tell you, do this, ask for this, push here. I'm telling you, there's a there. And I was like, yo, I used to joke and say, you're like Lady Macbeth. She's behind the scenes, like making sure that I'm rising up and that I'm doing, becoming everything that I can be holding me to a standard. And that was so intoxicating for me because she always made me feel loved. And it was like, if you fall, I'm going to be there. I'm going to support you. I'm going to lift you back up. It was like this beautiful thing. But she was always like, hey, you can be better. You can be more. And that was so what I needed. It was so rad. And I loved it so much. And I remember one time, I'm not a crier, but this was probably a few years ago. And I like, we were in like some deep discussion and I started to cry because I was like, you're never going to get the credit for who I've become that you deserve. Like Mm. you've been so patient in the backgrounds to help me grow and to give me the space and to be encouraging and to never make me feel bad when I fell. But I was like, oh my God, the person I would be would be so much less without you. And I was like, that is such like this female thing of like, that there was an ability for her to find joy in who I was becoming by pushing me and by having a role and watching me ascend. She spent eight years as a housewife, but that is so misleading to what was actually happening. It's just so hard to encapsulate the, the messy truth of the reality, but the reality is behind the scenes. She wanted to know like, what's the dream? Where are we going? How can I help? Like always facilitating and pushing me forward. It was rad, man. And so I was just like always awestruck with how there seemed to be very little difference for her, whether it was my success or her direct success. Like she was just so able to move between. And look, as she began to realize, actually, no, I want to be in the the fight myself. I want to be an entrepreneur. Like we made that transition that, that you could literally do a whole thing just on that. But like she was able to move and become the person that she wanted to become but that really powerful ability to help me become who I wanted to become was something that I will value and cherish until the end of time. It's so powerful. I've completely lost track of what you asked. What was the other question? Is, it was about money. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> I, I will put a, a three point. No, we totally lost it. But so through all of that, because it was a journey that we took together, and I always felt like she added equal value. It was like, we've always said, look, money could come, could go. I'm hyper aware that nothing is guaranteed. So just because you've had success doesn't mean that it'll stay forever. And our thing is the being together is the one thing that is as close to bullet 
proof as you're going to get. Like that's always the thing I can retreat to and feel good about. So we've always said one phrase, sink or swim, we go together. So as long as we have each other, we'll be fine. I only fear two things, brain damage, because I, I can't rebuild after that. And I can't have the emotional life that I want to have and losing her because a shared life is the greatest joy. And it's the only thing there's no shortcut to. So if something happened to her, I could start over. I could find somebody else. And I believe that I would find love again for sure. But we've been together for 20 years. And it's like, there's to get that back. I would have to live 20 years in real time with somebody else. And I just want to add to that, like he said, money can come and go. There's never a guarantee. And so for us, it's finding the joy in the small things. And I deliberately, actively tell myself that constantly. And I, I can't remember who said it. Oh, God, I wish I could. But they said, um, oh, um, uh, Larry Hamilton's wife, Reese. Uh, Gabby Reese, thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> So Gabby Reese turned around and I love this and it hit me so hard and stuck with me since. She's like, every day I walk down the stairs and when I see Led, I give him a kiss because there's no guarantee he's always going to be sitting there. And I was like, oh my God, like that hit me so much. And I remind myself that every time now. And when I see him, I just go up to him and I kiss him and I hug him. And I'm just like, I just want to hug you because you're here. But we don't do that with the bank statement. And like, I say that knowing that it's going to get people to laugh, but like really think about that. So mm -hmm. it's like, man, we are wired to back to the brain. We are wired to have this outsized response to somebody looking at you with love um, and knowing that they're going to be there. They're just, their money's powerful. Money's rad. It's better than people think. It just isn't what people think. Like most people have a, a different view of what money can do. Money can't touch how you feel about yourself. It can't. And, and I'm very grateful for the way in which we got wealthy, which was we built a ton of value in something. And even though on paper we were worth hundreds of millions of dollars, we were living a normal middle-class life. And so there was this like weird discrepancy of, yes, I guess we're like super rich, but it actually doesn't feel like that because I don't have a lot of money in the bank account. I have a lot of value in a company. And then we took an investment and sold a piece of that company. So literally we're sitting there with our banking app hitting refresh, 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 because we knew the money was going to hit the account. And you go from a normal bank account to like crazy commas and zeros, literally like that. And in that moment, I realized, oh my God, every insecurity I've ever had in my life, I still have. And so even though I now have all this money, it, it has affected how I feel about myself exactly zero. But what I had to do to change myself in order to become capable of generating the wealth, that made me feel good about myself. So it's like, look, you may never get wealth, but the struggle is a guarantee. So put all of your investment into the struggle being something that fills you up. If you do that, you're, you're bold. And that's what we did with our relationship. It's when the times were really tough and I was collecting coupons and literally counting every penny, I found joy. In it. I um, turned it into a game. We would do carpet picnics because we couldn't afford to go out for dinner, you know? And so we turned it into a game. And so even now it's like, we still do those small little things that are just super fun and have nothing to do with money. And it's just us connecting. And we actively going back to what you were saying earlier, Andrew, about it being work, it is work. And so even with this, it has been very deliberate that I do not, um, put money um, or value money over my relationship with my husband mm. and I make sure that we do that so it's his birthday we couldn't go out right because of the quarantine it was like last month and so it's like okay normally we would do a big trip right which is a lot of money and so I was just like this is amazing now I can think about showing him ways that I love him without money and so mm. how do I do that and it becomes like this thing where we connect and yeah it's just so Listen, we usually, uh, our closing question is usually, what do you love most about your significant other? But I feel like this whole past hour has, has been you guys talking about in a really deep way, probably the deepest that we've mm -hmm. heard, um, how much you appreciate and how much you depend on, um, and how much you love your spouse. And I am so impressed with you too. You can speak on so many different things, entrepreneurship, you could speak on health, you could speak on uh, film, you could speak on tech. There's so many things that you guys are experts on, but it seems like you make your biggest priority kind of the marriage. And 
I love that. And it, it shows through and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's inspiring. And I, I am thankful, um, for that. So appreciate you guys taking the time and, um, thanks for, thanks for giving me a new perspective on my wife. You guys are amazing. I could literally talk to you guys for a week straight. So we're moving in with you guys. Okay. If you're aware. And I, I love seeing your guys' content and how you guys are together. It's so awesome. So I love that you're doing this show and thanks so much for having us on. Yeah. yeah thank thanks. you guys. Thank you. All right, real quick for all of those listening out there, we don't ask for a lot of favors, I don't think, babe, do we? No. But we're going to ask you a favor today, all right? If you're listening to Couple Things Podcasts on Apple Podcasts specifically, will you please do us this short, quick favor? We want to make sure you're staying up to date with our show, and Apple's latest iOS update has paused downloads for many listeners, and some of you have expressed our latest episodes aren't being recommended to you on Apple Podcasts anymore. So here's how to make sure you're getting your episode. And again, this is for Apple Podcasts specifically. Open up that podcast app on your iPhone. Search Couple Things and tap Our Shows icon. And then in the top right corner, you might see a plus follow symbol. If you do, tap it to resume following the show. If you get a prompt to, quote, turn on automatic downloads, say yes. That way... You'll get all of the episodes. Thank you so much, guys. We're so glad this update was brought to our attention because we want to make sure we're reaching as many of you as we can. Love y'all, and we really appreciate you doing this.